Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. This is episode number 47 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David with an exclamation mark. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. It is. Today, we're back to SG-1 history. Looking forward to this one as always. We're talking about SG-1 season Five. You know, I don't look forward to it in the editing bay because it usually takes a couple hours longer. Yeah, not longer than open line night, I would assume. You know, they pretty much run the same. Lots to talk about. We want to make sure to cover all 22 episodes just because we're hardcore. But first, we've got an interview with Wraith actress Andy Frizzell. Caught up with her at the creation convention back in April. And we've got some Stargate news and site features. As always. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for June 17th, 2009. Expect the friendly, furry Dr. Daniel Jackson, otherwise known as Michael Shanks, to show up on Sanctuary in Season 2. Furry in Season 9? Furry in Season 9, yes he was. I don't get the reference. The beard. Oh, the beard. I was thinking of the Cowardly Lion costume in 200. That was in Season 10. Okay, that kind of furry. Michael's going to be on Sanctuary. Continue. The reports have been confirmed that Michael's going to be guesting in the ninth episode of the upcoming season, which is currently titled Penance, and he'll play a character named Jimmy. Jimmy! I wonder if he's going to be as cool and suave as Daniel Jackson with a name like Jimmy. I don't know. Something tells me that they're going to do something very different with him, um, which is what I really am hoping for. So... Mm -hmm. And all indications are that Sanctuary is going to be airing alongside Stargate Universe in October. So we should be seeing the ninth episode with Shanks uh, somewhere around Thanksgiving. I think so, yeah. Maybe December, hopefully before the end of the year. And speaking of Michael Shanks, the annual auction series hosted by Michael Shanks Online, the actor's official website, has begun this last week and running for the next week or two. There's a series of eBay auctions of Stargate and other science fiction memorabilia. A lot of it is autographed, uh, all being auctioned on eBay to benefit the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada, which is Michael and Lex's favorite charity. Yeah, I went to MS Online and checked out uh, this auction. This is a big auction. I oh, am yeah. really impressed. I'm really happy for them. That's, that's, that's great that they're doing this. They do this every year. There's about 200 items going up this year. That's great. Um, they have, over the course of the last four years, they've raised uh, over $81,000 for charity. Wow. It's fantastic. They have actors involved, not just Michael and uh, his wife, Lexi Scott Dewey, Bakula. But uh, Scott Bakula from Enterprise, Claudia Black, Bo Bridges, Amanda Tapping. Uh, Kurt Russell has some, some stuff, the original Jack O'Neill. Jeffrey Donovan, the star of Burn Notice, which Michael guest starred on. And there's also some goodies from Atlantis's David Hewlett. So head over to michaelshanks-online.com to check out the current items up for auction. Joseph Malazzi is once again releasing exclusive goodies on his blog. This time it's three brand new episode titles. Episode 14 is tentatively titled Lucid. Sabotage is episode 15. And 16 is titled Lost. Lost will be written by a freelancer. And we don't know much of anything about these episodes yet, although he has said, I think, that Lucid is going to focus on Dr. Rush's character. And speaking of auctions, Stargate Universe is offering a lunch and set visit with actor Jamil Walker-Smith. 
Smith is going to be playing Master Sergeant Ronald Greer. Now, this auction has a few caveats about it. Not only um, do you have to pay for your own airfare, but you have to go between October 2nd and 28th. This is after the series has premiered, which I guess is a good thing. And that auction benefits uh, an organization called Step Up, which describes itself as a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to strengthening community resources for women and girls. Actress Rako Aylesworth has been cast in Stargate Universe. She plays Michelle Dessler on 24, and she recently appeared in three episodes of Lost as Amy Goodspeed, Horace's wife, and she's going to play Sharon, Camille Ray's longtime life partner who is back on Earth. She'll be in the episode Life, which is currently slated to be the ninth episode of season one. Gateworld Features our interview with Kirby Morrow is now on the website. Kirby played Officer Dave Kleinman of the Daedalus. He was one of the navigators or weapons officer. I can never figure out which station is which on uh, the bridge of the Daedalus. And he was also in Season five's Warriors. He was one of Katano's uh, Mastaba soldiers. Oh, cool. O'Neill called him Stick Boy, remember? Stick Boy. That's right. Mm-hmm. That interview is now up on the website. It's laugh out loud funny. So go and check it out. Last week on the Friday Five, in keeping with our podcast theme of Star Trek, we looked at our five favorite Star Trek references from the history of Stargate. And number five is... Drumroll, please. Number five is this line from Simon Coombs in season six is The Other Guys. We might as well be wearing red shirts. And for the other four, head over to GateWorld and look at... Last week's Friday Five, and coming up this week on the Friday Five, we're going to be looking at the best character intros. This is the first topic that we're doing that was an idea submitted by a reader. What about you? What you got going on? This past week, we introduced into the screen capture gallery, our ongoing screen capture gallery. We introduced the profile on Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully, Stargate SG-1 The Alliance video game, and Stargate SG-1 true science and this week there are so many new additions that i am not even going to bother mentioning them there are nine new albums totaling almost 2500 screen captures to the website nice yes i rock so we've just finished out the exclusive bonus features for the stargate sg1 region one complete series set Next week, we're going to go into Stargate Ultimate Edition. There are two exclusives. One is, is there a Stargate? And the other is uh, the making of Stargate the movie. Awesome. And then uh, for the next 10 weeks, it is Stargate SG-1 season-by-season special features. The first several seasons are very, very dainty. I'm teetering on whether or not I'm going to compress some of them into fewer weeks because... Uh, yesterday I just started screen capping them and I'm all ready to season six. So we'll see. And we have a brand new interview coming up next week. Who's next? Andy Frizzell, the lovely Wraith Queen. This interview with Andy, we talked uh, more about her uh, life and um, what's important to her. We, we, we did touch on the Wraith Queen uh, near the end. I think about uh, three or four minutes of the interview was about... Atlantis and Stargate, but this was really just a get-to-know-her-a-little-bit-better interview mm-hmm. since we had such a great one with her a couple of years ago, um, and she did update us on uh, on uh, uh, the uh, past episodes that she has appeared in. Let's listen to a clip. Aside from one episode, you were the Wraith Queen every single time, yep. you know? Yeah. Like, you were that character's identity. Did you see yeah. the other the episode where the other character played? I did see a little bit of it, and when it? I did see it, that's when I made my theory connection about the height and to make that storyline believable 
the um, Wraith Queen had to look like Taylor as the Wraith Queen. Ah, yeah. That's my theory. That, that was my theory. I don't know if you were in the room when I was talking and someone had asked that question about the last episode. My theory is that to make that storyline believable, they need to have a Wraith Queen that could be similar to Taylor so that yeah. Taylor could look like she could pass for a Wraith Queen. And her and I are, you know, exactly. it's very, it would be very different. It wouldn't have looked very believable. And so. there was another queen in that episode, too. Yeah. You know, with a so, very distinct face. Very yeah. different in, in terms of shape compared to you. How do you yeah. think of that? Uh, well, I, like I said, I've, saw, I've, saw clip, I've seen clips of it. I haven't oh, okay. actually seen the whole thing. Oh, so. gotcha. Yeah, so what I did see was the one with Taylor. And, and again, I think that they were trying to make it, you know, that it, it looked like there's more than one look of a queen. Because right. up to that point, we all looked like me, right? Right. They were me. But we discovered but, that they were, they were cloned. There, so see, there were a yeah. couple floating around out there, a couple yeah. of different models. Models, and that's just it, yeah. right? Is that it had to, you know, to that storyline to go, right? Mm -hmm. So, were you yeah. were you uh, disappointed to hear that the show was canceled? Very, very. Were you hoping to come back again? I was hoping that, yeah. Well, you know, obviously, yeah. I love the character so much, but also that I would have liked to seen the wraith develop so much more. You know how the Borg became developed. I, I really wanted to see the wraith. Yeah really get dissected and I thought that's where the storylines were going like especially with the birthing chair and how they were cloned and how you know it was telepathy or the telepathy and all of that stuff so I was really sad to see this story end because I thought it was the time for the wraiths to start to shine the main discussion our main topic for this week is the fifth season of Stargate SG-1 which aired on Showtime from 2001 to 2002. And we just talked about this. Let's do something a little bit different for this podcast. Let's actually talk about our favorites and our least favorite and then go through in order instead of jumping around. If you are sitting in front of a computer, we encourage you to open up GateWorld's episode guide for Season 5 so that you can see the episodes at a glance that we're talking about. That's at gateworld.net slash sg1 slash s5. David, what did you think of season five? Season five, what a mixed bag of great shows. Uh, this is my second favorite season of SG-1. And it's really funny because my parents killed the Showtime subscription halfway through season four. I didn't get to see that until much, much later, a lot of season four. And then for season five, I begged and I pleaded and I pleaded to get Showtime back in the house because there was a big marathon coming up of Stargate. So I mm -hmm. decided to, to uh, make that my time. I can't remember when it was to get Showtime back in the house. So I started paying for the subscription to Showtime. The following Saturday, they did Enemies all the way to Wormhole Extreme. Oh, yeah, I remember. So I spent the entire day watching half of the season Wow. Only to have there be no Stargate for the next six months, which I continued to pay for but had no idea. Yeah. I was pretty frustrated. <laughs> Those of us who are longtime fans who watched season five in its original run on Showtime remember this was this was the biggest gap of no new episodes in the show's history to that point. It was six months uh, in between Wormhole Extreme and the next new episode. And I'll tell you why. Do you know why? No. It's because uh, they were usually what they do on Showtime is is they started the show in July, they aired about half the season, sometimes a little bit more, and then they took the usual holiday break for f Christmas, you know, four to six weeks from Thanksgiving through the New Year, 
and then they would start the first Friday in January and run the rest of the season. Well, they decided that uh, they were going to finish with Wormhole Extreme and with that marathon. It's the 100th episode milestone, uh, and that aired in September. And then they were going to wait and air the rest of the series with Jeremiah, which was their new series from Babylon 5 creator J. Michael Straczynski. Jeremiah was is, was a really dark, you know, gritty post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic series about about uh, trying to find something in the rubble of what's left of civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 9/11 happened. 9/11 happened right after Wormhole Extreme aired, and so Showtime decided that uh, it was not the right time to bring out a show like Jeremiah, but they still wanted to save their Stargate episodes to I air did with not Jeremiah. Know that. So it was another three or four months before they decided to start Jeremiah, and the result was we had this long six-plus, six-and-a-half-month break between new episodes of Stargate because of 9-11. So what was your favorite episode from these 22? There's some good stuff in here. I can tell you my favorite episode of the entire series. Really? It's in season five? In season five. It is the two-parter, Summit and Last Stand. I know that's kind of a cheat, but it is one story. There was originally one story, and it was turned into two. I love Summit and Last Stand dearly. Daniel has always been my favorite character, and it featured him going undercover. Osiris has always been my favorite villain, mm-hmm. and it featured her heavily. And the Osiris-Sarah-Daniel uh, dynamic I've always enjoyed. So this was a really big, important episode, and I loved you. And it was the introduction of a number of major System Lord players all of which um, were followed up on either just in dialogue or had their own, obviously, like Ball, had their own episodes later on. And great special effects. The gold attack on the Toker base at Ravana. So, and brought back Courtney J. Stevens, one of my favorite actors for season five. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it was just a, a great two-parter, and it continues to remain my favorite, uh, my favorite episodes of, of the series, Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully's finest hour in my opinion yeah i love this two-parter for all the reasons you mentioned i love anna louise plowman who plays osiris thought that that introduction of a new villain back in in season four is the curse yes anubis is introduced yes fantastic introduction of osiris and now she comes along a year later and she's working for anubis this is one of the things we'll talk about throughout the course of season five is this is the rise of anubis he's kind of a big secret throughout the whole most of the season there's there's a new bad guy who is rising to power, who has super-duper technology uh, and powers that is mm-hmm. shifting the balance of power in the galaxy. And here in Summit, uh, we find out that it's his name's Anubis, and he's apparently somebody who the System Lords kicked out and thought they had killed a thousand years ago. And he's introduced by Zipakna. Kevin Duran comes back as Zipakna, who I was mm-hmm. not expecting to see again. Mm-hmm. So he was involved in the two-parter, too. Without a- the funny and... hat. Right, exactly. <laughs> I learned. I later learned that um, J.R. Bourne was supposed to return for this this uh, two parter. He was but still. Martuth, they made yeah. a dang good episode without him. Nevertheless, the schedule conflicts. That would have made this four star episode. I think five stars in my book is as if they would have brought Martooth back, which they certainly tried to do. System Lords, man, this two parter is is so quintessentially Stargate because I think as villains, the colorfulness and variety of the System Lords are so interesting, and here we get to mm-hmm. see them all together. Uh, at least a, a bunch of them. We get about a half dozen of the most powerful get together for this, mm-hmm. this summit. Yeah, Jacob calls them all the major players. There's seven. So we have a listener letter on this one. 
Atree says, The best episodes for me are Summit and Last Stand. Not only does Lantash, the last link to Jolinar, die, but we also see Sarah again. Anubis gets revealed, and we get to know more about the System Lords, who I think are the best villains in SG-1. These episodes have it all action, sacrifice, new twists on the storylines, and emotional upheaval. Atrie asks, which villains do you like the best? I always thought that the System Lords, with all their little quirks and different personalities, were a lot more interesting than the Ori, for example. And do you think that the Ashen Confederation would have made a good main enemy? We'll talk about them in a minute. There's an Ashen episode this season. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed seeing Bostad and Kali together, kicking some major butt and uh, throwing some Jaffa around. I think those were two interesting characters and they appeared to be allies i mean they took out sobek for crying out loud Mm. so i think that would have been a very interesting different dynamic to watch this was ball's first episode yes ball was not bad and i mean his presence was enough that when abyss came around and he walks into that room i was scared i didn't know what he was capable of and i'd already seen his appearance in summit last stand and and when he comes in to torture jack i'm like oh boy Mm Cliff has a gravitas about him that is only tapped on in Summit and Last Stand. Yeah, they introduced, I'm thinking like about four new system lords that we had never seen before in this two-parter. And Mm -hmm. Ball was was the shining star. Ball really took off and obviously became a main villain in the later years of the show. And in Continuum, the last Stargate SG-1 story that we've seen, I would have loved to see more of them. I would have loved to see Bastet and Morrigan and... Svarog came back briefly in the Sentinel. We never saw him. We just heard his booming voice from the sky as his, his yeah. ship was invading a, a poor planet. Well, we didn't even know that it was Svarog in, in Summit and Last Stand. We just have Malazzi's word for it. Yeah, that's true. We see a guy walking through the hall, and he's been identified by the writers as, as Svarog, but he's not named. Luisco also comments on Last Stand. Season 5 doesn't have a lot of standout episodes, in my opinion, but my favorite episode has got to be Last Stand. It's action-packed with two great stories involving Daniel Undercover and the rest of SG-1 and Lieutenant Elliot escaping from the Toker base. The ending is very moving with Elliot sacrificing himself on his first mission in order to save SG-1 and Jacob. The episode was a great second-parter full of action and a few great character moments. That's the only thing I didn't like about Last Stand was the ending because it wasn't clear. Again, Malazzi has said that Zapakna died. Well... How the heck did he die? I mean, did well, Elliot take out all the gold on the planet or all the gold in space? I mean, Yeah, let's re- refresh our memories. What's the last shot of Last Stand? Elliot has taken the Tok'ra poison and is somehow going to conceal it from the Jaffa when they search him. And Zipakna's Jaffa troops are approaching to take him away. We just see it on Courtney J. Stevens' face that this is mm-hmm. happening and through sound effects, and that's all. So he's been critically wounded, given the poison. That's the only way to help the team get off. Yeah, the, the Jaffa forces have surrounded the Stargate. Yeah, somehow the group is going to go out of range from the Tok'ra po- poison. He's going to be taken back to the Stargate, which is uh, a good 20 miles away, I think, or 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was one of the reasons why they went so far, was to ensure that the team would be uh, spared. Mm-hmm. So I that... love the ending. I love the ambiguity of it. I love... It was different. I love the sacrifice. I mean, that's that's what what plays is Courtney J. Stevens' face, Lieutenant Elliot's face, uh, with the sound of rain falling in the, in the woods around him, and he's breathing heavily, and, and he knows he's about to die, and that's just... I think it's a fantastic ending, and it, it punched me in the gut when I first saw it. Yeah. But you're right. Joe Malazzi, who wrote this episode with, with Paul Mully, said that Zipakna is apparently dead from the symbio poison. That never made any sense to me, because Zipakna was on the ship. 
Mm-hmm. And Elliot was supposed to release the poison once he got back to the base camp at the start. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Still a pretty dang good episode. So what about your favorite episode? My favorite episode of season five is Enemies. It's the season mm. premiere. This is it, it picks up on Exodus from the end of season four, obviously. Uh, Exodus was one of my favorite episodes of season four. And this two-parter together, really, it leads into a three-parter because it leads into Threshold, where we have to get Teal back after he's been brainwashed by Apophis. Actually, it's a four-parter when you consider the mothership. Yeah, if you bring in the mothership from, from Double Jeopardy. Enemies has has really got it all. It's got it's got Apophis in it. It's got replicators. A lot of great action. A lot of great visual effects. The scene where the team is fleeing from the replicator onslaught down the hallway, and Jack slides into the transport rings, firing back at the replicators. The camera's with him inside the transport. Yeah, it's rings a transport POV. As the transport goes and then comes back into the cargo ship that they've beamed to, I love that shot. A lot of heart in this too. Teal'c is is believed to be dead at the end of season four, and he comes back. He's alive, and he has been brainwashed. He's first prime of Apophis again. Great stuff with Jacob. I mean, you just can't go wrong. Hi, this is Paul, also known as Olkesh47, and I'd like to say that Enemies is my favorite season five episode. The title couldn't be more appropriate given the mashup of Apophis and Replicators, and I think that Enemies and Season 8's Avatar are the greatest SG-1 action episodes. I love them both. Thanks, Paul, for that voicemail. I love Enemies. What about your least favorite episode for Season 5? My least favorite of Season 5 and possibly, well, I shouldn't say of the entire series. It's in my bottom three for the entire series. But my least favorite for season five is Wormhole Extreme. It was the 100th episode of the show. It was a great landmark. They decided to to celebrate and step out of the box and tell a very different kind of story and uh, just didn't do it for me, in in the humor department especially. It's one of those things where I... I felt like I really ought to love it and ought to enjoy it when I watched it. I laughed all the way through it when I first watched it, but then after it was over and I lived it's with a little it for hollow. a little while, it was it's a little hollow. I felt like, well, I laughed all the way through this the first time I saw it. Those laughs kind of feel a little forced to me now, like I was trying too hard to like it. Yeah, I watched it again. I watched this one a few days ago, and uh, it is also my low point of the season, too. I enjoy the episode. I thought it was different. I thought it was interesting. One of the reasons that I like it is because we get to see the crew behind Stargate, and that's really the reason. I mean, they, they kind of went out of their way to give the crew as many moments as possible, uh, and sometimes it just doesn't click. Mm-hmm. But I think, ultimately, in the show's defense, I think 200 achieved in spades what Wormhole Extreme failed to achieve for me. That's interesting. We'll definitely talk more about 200 when we get to our Season 10 podcast, but just offhand right now, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I liked Wormhole Extreme better than 200. So that's the cream of the crop and maybe the bottom of the barrel. So (laughs) now let's go through in in order here. From enemies, we lead again right into threshold. Teal'c has been brainwashed. We get a major backstory episode for Teal'c. What a good show. And Tony Amendola's favorite episode. It was well done. It is a tearjerker for me. Mm. The only Teal'c episode that is a tearjerker for me, I think. You really understand this character's journey uh, you you understand the path that he has taken you you understand his motivations for what he did wh- why he did what he did brad wright just mopped up the floor yeah what they wanted to do here teal had largely been 
uh, I think fans rightly observed, in, in a lot of respects, he'd been wallpaper for four years. He His character was, was the strong, silent type. Didn't say a lot. Every once in a while, we'd have an episode with his family. But uh, otherwise, he was just kind of there. He was the muscle, and he was some comic relief because he didn't understand the Earth, the Earth references. But when we got to Threshold, they decided to go back and say, well, why did this guy abandon mm-hmm. uh, his, his entire life and turn against his god in Children of the Gods, the, the mm-hmm. first episode of the series? And this explains why he did it. And then we get a Sam episode next. Next up is Ascension. This is when we Stargate fans started to scratch our heads and suspect that Omidasala and these glowy ascended beings may be the ancients. Because this guy, Orlin, comes along and falls in love with Sam, and he's glowy. He builds a Stargate in her basement. Yeah, uh, that was a major hint. Ascension also introduced this ascended hierarchy. I mean, before Omidasala was Mother Nature... She was the be-all, end-all of strength, mm-hmm. supposedly. Orlin shows that there is that there is a hierarchy, an ascended hierarchy that <laughs> appears to have wrath. Yeah, and we realized that Oma was, was apparently banished. I enjoyed the character of Orlin. I thought Sean Patrick Flannery did a great job. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed that he did not return in Season 9, although Cameron Bright did a good job as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a good episode for Sam. I was waiting for an episode where we saw Sam at home. I enjoyed it a lot. I like Ascension. I think that, that Sean Patrick Flannery really sells this episode because he's, he's, you know, he's kind of cute, but he's kind of creepy. And he's kind <laughs> yeah. of, he's a friend, but at the same time, he's behaving very stalkerish. Yeah. So, you're not, I mean, we're, we are with Sam throughout the whole episode. We're not sure what to make of this guy. At the very end, it's like, well, now we see what's really going on here. And at the same time that the Ascended beings appear to exercise wrath, they also exercise redemption and forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, which was perfect for that time. I think we really needed to see that, yes, they are capable of offering second chances. What did you think of The Fifth Man? An O'Neill episode. I thought it was very well done. A little bit more of a quiet episode. And O'Neill out on the fringes kind of episode. This this kind of show, I think, is... Um, I suspect this episode is going to be very similar to what the third Stargate DVD movie is going to be like. Hmm. O'Neill, O'Neill on his own, out of contact, I suspect. Hmm. And the twists of, of what the fifth man, uh, Tyler, actually is, was great. Yeah, this was one of those that I think probably started with the teaser, and somebody thought of this great idea for for a teaser. And I haven't seen the episode for a long time, so r- correct me if this isn't actually in the teaser, but the team comes through the gate and and reports that their teammate, Lieutenant Tyler, is still back on the planet with, with exactly. Colonel O'Neill. And Hammond says, who the heck is Lieutenant Tyler? There is no such person on this base or on your team. And everybody on the team remembers him. I like the real chemical. I like uh, the way that, that Janet discovers what it is and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that chemical, as as we will see, or I guess we already talked about Summit, comes into play later in the series. Yes. Frank Simmons was introduced in Ascension, and he is back in The Fifth Man, John DeLancey. Uh, always going to be cute to me, but I was, I was glad for his uh, year-and-a-half stint on the show coming in mm-hmm. and out. Red Sky is one of my favorite episodes of Season 5. This is a great little dilemma. SG-1 has, not on purpose, of course, but accidentally almost ended this peaceful little civilization that's under the protection of the Asgard. 
it's a great Stargate network problem, one that makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we have our own dialing computer, and Red Sky is a perfect example where where the dialing program is used to override some of the Stargate safeties in order to get a lock on a planet. Mm-hmm. Which in this case was the wormhole passes through a star, through yeah. the star of, of Katow, and ends up causing a, a redshift and bad news for the planet if the sun goes away. The treaty protects them from attack by the Gould, but it also says that the Asgard can't stop a, a naturally occurring Disaster. catastrophe. This is one that I really hoped would have ended in tragedy, but it doesn't. I, I, I mean, granted, there's a lot of tragedy in this season. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think that it would have been much more interesting had the Katal people have perished. We just jaunt through the universe. We do admit to mistakes, but so often it's just a happy ending. Yeah, and this, this was a sad ending begging to happen because it, it looked like we had no options and our... I love the fact this this storyline where our attempt to build this rocket to fix the sun. I mean, we're spending kajillions of dollars and are doing our darndest to fix our mistake, and uh, they blow it up. They go and blow it up. There's you know there's a there's a group that think that we're nothing but trouble, which is exactly right. Sometimes we are, but um, yeah, yeah. I would have loved a dark ending on this one. Rite of passage. I had always wanted Cassandra to come back. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed when the actress didn't return. Uh, yeah, they recast her. Yeah, she was doing X2. Um, That's right, X-Men 2. Yeah, so uh, we brought in Colleen Renison, who was in Bane, and she played Allie. So Col- at least they got a really great actress to replace her. I loved Colleen Renison in this, and, and I think that, that she will always be Cassandra to me more than okay. the original actress. I thought she did a, a real bang-up job. Yeah, she did. It's, it was a good story. It was one that was begging to be answered. It was the return of Nirti. We finally understood what was really going on on that planet. Uh, but to this day, there is a scene that I continue to watch, and I still don't understand what's going on. Oh, what's If that? you can answer it for me. They go to the planet, and, and uh, uh, Jack picks up a, a, a surgical instrument and asks, what is this for? And Tilk says, what do you think it is for? Is that some kind of a sexual reference or something? I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't think so. What is it for? I think it's supposed to be a joke that maybe just kind of falls flat. Okay. Seven or eight years gone, it still goes over to my head. Maybe he asks Tilk, expecting Tilk to know all about ghoul things, and it's something that Tilk doesn't know the answer to, so he passes the buck. Great Frasier episode. She gets really... Very front and center, Terrell gets gets to play protective mom yeah. with Near T. Some great stuff there. Yes. Frasier's finest hour, in my opinion, next to Heroes. Beast of Burden. I wasn't crazy about the Unos episode in Season 4 with the introduction of Chaka, although I like Chaka's character. Um, when I found out he was coming back in Beast of Burden, I was sort of expecting to yawn through it all. But there's a nice little dilemma here in that that these guys who Daniel's gotten to know one of them and you know knows that he's sentient and has made friends with them they're they're being treated as beasts of burden they're being treated as animals as livestock and they're being sold. The oppressed have become just as bad as their oppressors. I was big fan of Dion Johnstone's Chaka, frankly much more than Patrick Curry's Chaka. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them are are very uh physical 
actors and they have a very specific movement about them, one which I don't think Patrick captured, both in combination of his movement, physicality, the makeup job that they did on him. Yeah. I wasn't convinced that it was Shaka again. This is one of those episodes that ends on a dark note. It yeah. ends with we've we've set the Unas slaves free on this human populated world uh, in this village and we've armed them. Yeah. And now it is up to them to decide if they are going to rise up against their oppressors and kill them or enslave them or if they're going to choose a different path. It's up to them to make up their minds about that. Yeah, and that which question also, is left hanging. Well, it, it, it proves that Daniel was right about the Unas. They, they are intelligent beings who don't just have cave drawings for art. I mean, they, they, are, they are thinking beings and um, they're not just animals. I mean, we're all animals, but yeah. Mm. Larry Drake played Colonel Brock. Great performance. The Tomb continues. I love The Tomb. The Russian thread. Man, stylistically, The Tomb is so fantastic. Uh, who directed this? Did Peter DeLuise direct this Peter one? Peter DeLuise directed this one. Very similar in tone to Whispers. If I had to put the two side by side, I think this one is the better one. There's a monster loose, and it introduces the officially worst way to go to die, which is to be <laughs> continually regenerated in a sarcophagus while a monster continually eats you alive again and again. Oh, that man. was awesome. That was crazy. Just the image that that conjures up in your mind is just as creepy as the visuals of, of running around a, a dark 10,000-year-old abandoned tomb. Exactly. Uh, the, the beats between Colonel Zukov and Colonel O'Neill are fantastic. When you split up the team and this guy gets killed and that girl gets killed and Daniel's been left alone to investigate the inscriptions in the, I think, in the sarcophagus room. You mm-hmm. never know. Who did that gold go into? That's the great SG-1 dilemma. Who did that gold go into when we weren't looking? I think definitely a runner-up for my favorite episode behind Enemies and the two-parter summit and last stand would be Between Two Fires. This is a really nice, slow, political episode uh, set on the planet Tolana. We met the Tolan back in Season 1. Uh, we saw them again in Season 3. Twice. So season 5, so it's time for them to come back. Uh, our our good friend, who we didn't know was our good friend, Omok, uh, has died. So SG-1 attends his funeral and finds out that the Tolan are a little bit more willing to share their big honking space guns than they have been in the past. Only Ooh. to find out that they're only willing to share them because they're not useful anymore. Well, at least not against Anubis's shields. So this is a nice one. Uh, it finally comes to a head with, with some, some action running and gunning at the end when Tanith shows his face. Most of the episode is really just kind of slow and quiet political machinations, figuring out what the heck is going on. I was very sorry and sad to lose the Tolan. As far as I'm concerned, it's as if we had lost the Nox. I mean, it's just one of those great original allies that are that are gone. Yeah, and poor Nareem. That last shot with, with Nareem standing there watching Sam go and the explosion behind him, the, the mm-hmm. capital city is, is being bombarded from space. It's just, it's gut-wrenching for Nareem. I mean, we Nareem was such a nice guy. This is very much uh, the point in the season where we realize there is a new bad guy. There is a new force that is, is knocking over all the anthills in the galaxy. The likes of you are not permitted to know his name. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet that it's Anubis, but uh, that's who it is. And it, it, sad as I am to lose the Tolan, I think their their destruction serves a great purpose in, yeah. in being the most advanced race that we know that we're allies with, at least who are in our galaxy, the Asgard are in a different galaxy. Yeah. But the Tolan, 
uh, they're humans. They're super technologically advanced, and they get their butts handed to them. By Anubis, who was so bad that he was banished from the System Lords because his actions were unspeakable. What were those actions? Mm. Not rewinding the videotape before returning it to the store. <laughs> 2001, the return of one of my favorite adversaries from the franchise, the ones that I originally watched at 20 megabytes. Uh, that was the Ashen, or the mm-hmm. Ashen. The, the Ashen. The Ashen, after they figured out how they wanted to pronounce it in the show. And I had not seen 2010 at this point, so when Carter says, hmm. the Ashen, sir, they're called the Ashen, I'm thinking to myself, okay, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. this, this, must be, this must be bad. This That's is the, the end, end of the, the teaser. teaser. <laughs> so once again, I, I cheated myself out of a very, very awesome, oh no, mm-hmm. moment. That was, a, that was a nice teaser. The Ashen, this, this was an alternate timeline that our team now doesn't know about. They, they never met the Ashen and never knew that in an alternate timeline, originally, the Ashen basically conquered Earth by making friends with us and then reducing our population. Joseph Faxon returns. This was great because 2010 had all this backstory behind it of when SG-1 met the Ashen and, you know, everything that led up to that alliance. And now we get to see a version of that, which, which I love. We get to see the ambassador in his suit going through the gate to this yeah. farm world and then these preliminary talks with the Ashen. And, and, of course, we, the audience, know that they're, they're bad guys. And it all comes to blows with one little word. Sterility. Sterility. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. The sequences with Teal'c and Daniel in the old city underground, going mm-hmm. through the old records. I haven't watched this episode in quite a while. This is one I, that I would like to rewatch. A couple weeks ago, it was. It's very good. Yeah, I'd like to see this one. And of course, I think we've talked in the past about the fact that there was originally a third episode in the Ashen Judgment. Ashen trilogy that was tentatively titled Judgment that Brad Wright was kicking around the idea. At the end of 2001, we give the Ashen a bunch of Stargate addresses. This is part of our negotiation. But by this time, we already suspect that they're bad guys. So we give so them we give all them horrible ones. Stargate addresses. <laughs> like, uh, the first one is a planet on the edge of a black hole. E3W451. So that's where we leave the Ashen is, is we've given them the addresses. They have a big confederation of planets that they've managed to create using uh, starships. They don't really know how to use the Stargates very well. They don't have addresses like we do. That's how 2001 ends. We leave them with these gate addresses, not sure if they're actually going to use them. And in Judgment, we would find out that they did use them and suffered horribly because of it, and now want to put Earth on trial. Yeah, that is definitely one that I would have loved to have seen. Desperate Measures, looking at the website here, this is one that I've ranked pretty highly. I rated it 3 out of 4 stars. Looking back on it, it's not one that, that I would rate that high. It's not one that I really ever have a desire to rewatch. Sam gets kidnapped by this, this wealthy guy, Adrian Conrad, Adrian Conrad, who is dying, and uh, he's got a Gould symbiote, and needs to study Sam because she was once the host of a symbiote. But he doesn't understand the consequences of a Gould and Tokra. Yeah, he wants to get a, a symbiote in him to heal him, and then either take it out or control it. He was wanting to put the symbiote in long enough for it to heal him and then take it out again. Right. Uh, but he doesn't realize that the the gold is capable of inflicting considerable pain or death if uh, he tries to extract it. And the gold is capable of deceiving everyone around him into making them think that he's actually Adrian Conrad. Right. So. 
Uh, no, this guy's kind of a loser. He doesn't know the score when it comes to the Gould and, and what's going on here. I loved Jack and Mayborn's scenes in this one. Proving Ground, the return of Cadet Haley, who's now Lieutenant Haley, I think. Yeah, this was when we got Grace Park, and then she got all hot and famous on Battlestar, and we wish that we had her back. Proving Ground is a, is a good show, in my opinion. One of the lower ones of uh, the season. I mean, it's one of those, like, okay, is the Stargate command really under uh attack or is it is it a fake and the moment that they they chose to reveal the truth about that i thought was kind of awkward and didn't service the story necessarily well i mean they just kind of revealed it in the middle of the episode yeah we learned before the characters do that that their mission to the sgc is before the cadets do yeah is a training simulation i like the the alternate perspective the fact that we're focused on this the group of people that we don't usually look at uh not only Never. lower decks characters, but plebes who are who are not even part of the SGC yet, uh, and SG One is sort of of a part. You know, they're they're drill sergeants. I thought the episode, uh, story wise, the plot was very predictable. The the fact that the mission of the SGC was was a test, and the the thing with Haley at the end was another test. I thought it was all yeah. very predictable. So it really relied on the strength of these these guest characters, and and characters like Haley. And Elliot, I think, sell it pretty well. 48 Hours, a great Teal'c episode that is not necessarily a Teal'c episode. <laughs> a, great te- a great episode that is about Teal'c in which Teal'c does not Took appear. Took a week off. <laughs> and Joseph Malazzi originally entitled it... Teal'c Interrupted. Teal'c gets trapped inside the Stargate. And Tanith, as a character, gets literally and metaphorically wasted. He gets killed at the beginning. Just one carefully placed shot to the canopy, and he crashes and dies. Well, keep in mind, they, they're thinking that there isn't going to be a season six. You know, Showtime is not renewed the show for the first time in, in four years, I think. Or maybe they did renew it for a fifth season, because they renewed it for four right up, almost up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they were thinking that they were going to do a movie, and they were nuking all of these storylines. And I think in hindsight, I, I think they wished that they hadn't done it had they known that they were going on to a season six. I mean, at least there was some kind of a resolution. At least Tilt got him. I think it's better than a dangling thread, but the Stargate writers have left us so many dangling threads, so many characters and races that are out there that, that we expect to, to come back and see some ramifications. I was kind of surprised that not only did they kill off Tanith, but they went to great lengths to kill off Tanith because Peter Wingfield, the actor, was not available for this episode. Yeah. So they, they CGI'd his face onto that, that cockpit shot at the beginning. Yeah. Tanith kind of gets his payback, too. I mean, he almost wasted Teal'c. So, yeah. indirectly, the thing crashes into the DHD and, and splits the Stargate in half, which is kind of hard to believe. Tanith's character was so cool, though. I mean, he was so... I mean, literally cool and collected and and low-key. And I just hate to see him go like that. I mean, he was not even part of the story at all. Peter Wingfield was a great actor to have on that show. I I hope I can interview him one of these days. I mean, with him as Watson on Sanctuary, I mean, the guy's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. But this episode does give us some great characters. Simmons is back, John Delancey. And this is the introduction of David Hewlett's Rodney McKay. The prickly McKay, who at this point, if this was his only episode and we found out that he was going to be on Atlantis, I think fans would have had a <laughs> This is a great Rodney McKay episode, an awesome one. And, and mm-hmm. the fact, uh, Sam's line, God, you're a jerk. I mean, I love it. I've always Hewlett had a thing calls for her dumb a dumb blonde. blonde. 
And she says, go suck a lemon. In other words, go and die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the return of Adrian Conrad, I mean, that was uh, a great resolution to the, the Simmons character. I mean, he goes to jail. He was in deep with the Gould. I was surprised that, that it was as quick as it was. I was surprised yeah. that they, they got rid of him or, or caught up with him and put him in jail. Again, they're wrapping up stories. Half a season, yeah. And Adrian Conrad, again, now we've got the Gould who possessed Adrian Conrad. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. And then we get Summit in Last Stand, and we hop on to the backstretch of the season. This failsafe. I adore failsafe. This was a, this was a fun episode. It was a great team show. Uh, it has a lot of great lines. I mean, the I'm confident, me too, as am I, gets me in <laughs> stitches every single time. Oh yeah, it's kind of a fun popcorn story because it's it's SG One's version of of Armageddon, of a summer blockbuster yeah. movie where where an asteroid is heading for Earth. Uh-huh, I've seen this when it hits Paris. It. Exactly. Exactly. And then there's this nice little twist. It's part of the of the mythology of Season 5 and Anubis. We've just had the summit mm-hmm. with the System Lords. The System Lords have voted to allow Anubis back in. If he destroys Earth. But they're still subject to the Asgard Protected Planets Treaty. So Anubis decides he's going to destroy Earth, but make it look like an accident. And he chucks a Nakwita asteroid in our direction, which if we blow up, will destroy earth and if it impacts will destroy earth so it was a great one a great conundrum it was a little uh circumstantial i mean the cargo ship is is going to fly into the asteroid at 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 60 meters per second and yet it manages to find itself a deep hole as it's as it's flying into it and just at the last five meters manages to, mm-hmm. to, to, to I mean come on summer popcorn fair it's uh cut the wire cut the right wire in the right sequence or, or the bomb blows up there was a lot of that in this episode a lot yeah. of things had to be in the right sequence and in the right place I give failsafe a little bit more credit there's some fun moments there's some great jack lines like when he's trying to disarm the bomb and then the great great inventive solution of of riding the asteroid through hyperspace for a few mm-hmm. seconds an episode that is not one of my favorites of this season is The Warrior. Tilk has been, been trying to get other Jaffa to join his cause, Tilk and Braytak. Uh, and then they find out that there is this charismatic Jaffa leader who has basically succeeded. He's, he's created a group of rebel Jaffa who, who have established their own base mm-hmm. and are, are doing raids against the Gould. Mm-hmm. Kitano, played by the excellent Rick Worthy. Mm-hmm. What a great character and, and a great idea. I mean, Emotep, who was the thinker, if any ghoul would do it, it would be Emotep, who would see what the Jaffa were doing in terms of an uprising and become a part of that and, and lead that. What a great idea. Yeah. Story by Chris Judge. There's a nice, nice twist where he reveals himself as Emotep at the end. Did you see that coming? No, I didn't. I didn't either. I that like was that great. little twist. I like the... Uh... The staff fighting. There's a lot of great hand-to-hand uh-huh. combat in this one. Some of the camera work that, that Peter Deloise went with is is a little off. It's a little weird to me because it's it's Matrixy. It's it's a significant departure, but it was it was cool to try. And then one of my all-time favorite episodes as well, Menace. I felt so bad for Reese. Uh, I mean, we take this girl from her planet and then we lock her in a room and we basically force her to manufacture replicators in, in an attempt to free her, and then we kill her. We waste mm-hmm. her. Uh. It's, a, it's another example of we, we find a robot and are not willing to grant that robot the status of being a life form. So, eh, It's another great example of us inviting trouble upon ourselves. Yeah. 
As far as the replicators go, uh, coming off of enemies and the running and gunning of the replicators who had taken over the ship, uh, Menace was a was a nice little turn in the replicator storyline because it mm-hmm. was quiet, it was personal, it was about this young girl character, and it was set at the SGC. This is the first time we saw replicators running around free inside Stargate Command. Yeah, this was bad. <laughs> and then it gave it gave us this backstory, and now we suspect that that she was was created by some advanced scientist, and then she probably created the very first replicators who ended up somehow getting into the Asgard galaxy. Great Jack and Daniel confrontation at the end. I mean, he's Daniel's pissed, and he absolutely has the right to be. I always thought Reese had great potential, and, and then she was just a one-off. It was like, crap. Don S. Davis and Amanda Tapping had some great beats with the bomb. I, I love oh, seeing yeah. Don firing that weapon. Yeah, Hammond running and gunning inside Stargate Command. The Sentinel! The Sentinel, for me, is another... Another weaker point in the season. I like it. It's a strong season overall, so it's a, a good weak idea. point is a, is a good episode. Um, these characters, these rogue NID characters who we have to go free uh, because they're familiar with this planet. They've been to it before. Uh, I like those characters, and I like that idea. The rest of the episode overall is kind of slow, though. In this episode, the Sentinel is this piece of advanced technology that's far beyond the civilization that's living on this planet that it is protecting from the Gould. And we find out that the rogue NID somehow broke it. They messed it up. This was one where um, they were supposed to get uh, the actors from Shades of Grey to come in. Claire oh. Tobias and Newman. Yeah, that would, have been, be. that would have been fun. I think so, Christian too. Christian So they brought in Kershaw and Sean Greaves. And they, what was funny was they in the, in the flashback at the beginning... They managed to uh, recreate the scene mm-hmm. from Shades of Grey the and insert the on. actors in them. And then a solemn moment for the next episode. Meridian is always going to have a, a major place in Stargate history. It is, it is pivotal in so many ways. I thought it was a masterpiece. If you're going to let Daniel go, let him go in a way that uh, story and continuity have established. Take him back to Keb. And those roots of where he had become enlightened, bring back Omida Sala, slap on a fantastic actress like Mel Harris, and you've got a winner. And not to mention a great conundrum on Kelowna as well. Mm-hmm. You've got a moral story right there. You've got a character who is going to have an absolutely painful death. You've got Frazier almost considering euthanasia. And you have all of SG-1 suffering. It is a perfect episode. Yeah, it's so great for these characters. They all get their moments with Daniel. They, I mean, this episode is obviously about Daniel and what he means to the team and the fact that a lot of them, especially Jack at the Enders, is not sure what to do without him. We're going to do everything we can uh, with Jacob's help with a healing device to try and save him. And Daniel finally has to say, you know, let me go. I'm ready to move on. I love Mel Harris. I love the Omidasala stuff. Uh, I love the glowy Daniel trying to figure out what his life has been about uh, and and some of the things that Oma says to him like the only things in life we can control is whether we are good or evil that stuff mm-hmm. is beautiful it's it's so well written it's so well acted I mean the lighting for crying out loud the lighting in the gate room in those scenes it must have been the hot scenes to shoot stellar yeah it's a great standoff for Daniel's character it's also very controversial because they chose to introduce his replacement in the same episode. What did you think of Jonas Quinn? I thought Jonas was a coward. 
in this episode. He was on very much deliberately, yeah. You look at the setup for Cameron Mitchell, and it's obvious. I mean, the first words out of his mouth, it was, no matter what, we're here to protect SG-1. I mean, how intentional is that? How obvious is that? <laughs> Trying to make him the anti-Jonas. We, we, we made so many mistakes with Jonas in that regard. I mean, or, I mean, we could have done things better with Jonas, so let's, let's absolutely make Cameron Mitchell a pro-SG-1 kind of guy. And Jonas, I mean, was spineless in a lot of ways. I mean, in the end... He came to SGC with the Nequadria, and he had sacrificed his future. So in the end, he did make the right decision. But to make Jack so opposed to him mm-hmm. put so many fans at odds with him as well, because they side with Jack. Yeah, not to mention that he's replacing Daniel. Exactly. And Corin obviously had his own fans through season six, but man. It was a bold choice. It was It was gutsy to make him... Uh, uh, an antagonist in this episode yeah, to make definitely him, a bold choice make him cowardly and he's basically muttering under his breath to, to Jack you know I can't I can't do this but it doesn't make me dislike Jonas it makes me think yeah. that he's a really interesting character yeah I agree Cole Aga says I think Meridian is an interesting episode because it feels like it was made especially for fans we the fans who came to care deeply about Daniel are very moved and the episode is a great send off of a beloved character the end of his journey on the show, or so we think. But almost all the casual viewers I know personally think it's just slow and dreadfully boring and tend to avoid it. Revelations. Daniel goes away, and then we still have one more story to tell. We do, and they do a great job of having a great quiet moment for each of the characters. Martin Wood has said that the the exchange between Amanda and Christopher, whether he's gone on to become something better right now, I frankly don't care. I'd rather have him back. And Chris says, so would I. They did that scene on a Friday and the both of them were breaking down on camera. And Martin Wood says, this is too much. This is it's good, but this is too much for this scene. We can't have Teal bawling his eyes out. Let's Mm -hmm. wait until Monday and reshoot it. And that's what they did. Wow. And I would have loved to have seen those takes. Thor returns. I mean, they off Thor for crying out loud. If we can't get Michael back, we might as well put Thor in a coma. And the introduction of Anubis in person. Yeah, we see him in person for the first time. We see the oil slick face. Kind of looks like a shimmery event horizon almost. Mm-hmm. Bruce Walosh and Brainmaker Digital was required to come up with 10 separate takes for what could be in that, in that void. Oh, wow. And he did an 11th, which was a yellow smiley face. <laughs> and Osiris is back. Osiris is back. And kicking and butt. I loved the opening. Our days of bowing to the Asgard are over. I wish they carried that through to the end of the episode. I mean, Anubis was outgunned. I think that's really the only reason that he, that he split and run. Uh, but I mean, just that line, the Asgard are yeah. no longer the protectors, and Anubis is back and in full force. Wow. Yeah, this is a great payoff for the, the arc of the season. We start out with the the fall of Apophis. Earth is kind of riding high. The, the big threat is gone. We've we've blown up his most of his fleet. And we get to the point where uh, the Tolan fall, and then Anubis rejoins the System Lords and takes a shot at Earth. And the Asgard have always been our ace in the hole. They have always been our little friends in our back pockets who we can pull out if we need to. If we can get in touch with them. If we can get in touch with them. They're our safety net. And what Revelations does is it is it punches a hole in Asgard technology and says we can no longer count on them to save us from this threat. Yeah. And Heimdall is in this. Heimdall's a great new Asgard character. 
played and voiced by Terrell Rothery. Yes, they had some money left over, and they decided to spend it on an Asgard, a fully animated Asgard. I mean, once you see Heimdall, it's hard to go back. Mm-hmm, it's really hard to go back. He's fully articulate. I mean, even when he's standing still, he's kind of swaying and his arms are moving. You take a look at the scene in, in, in season four, Small Victories, when Carter reaches down and, and, and hugs Thor and she steps away from him and Thor is going, wah, 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 wobbling back and <laughs> forth. It's so hard to, to say, that, okay, this is a real being. There's another thread introduced in here with the Asgard's investigations into their own genetic past. They find... A survivor from an Asgard ship that left their planet something like 10,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago. Long time ago. Long, long time ago. Who they want to study to try and fix their problem with cloning. Mm -hmm. So this is where we learn for the first time that the Asgard race is entirely made up of clones. They do not reproduce sexually at all anymore. I wish that we would have gotten to see that big guy again and, and heard a little bit more about what happened. Did, did he do any good? Obviously, he didn't. Obviously, he didn't. All we heard was, you know, at the end of the day, they couldn't figure out their, their problem. Dramatically, I think it would have been much better payoff. I mean, in, in, had they realized, ultimately, that they were going to kill the Asgard, I think the Gould having destroyed the base would have been much more interesting and destroyed his body. They were able to preserve him, and then it didn't work for some reason, and then the Asgard died. But it's a good ending. It's a good, fine ending to the season. I'm going to have to give season five overall a 9.5 out of 10. Wow. I love season five very much. Season four and five are simply my favorite of the show. Uh, Season three is a close third. This was a great year of Stargate, and I am uh, always going to be very attached to it. Yeah, once again, when I go back and watch episodes of Stargate, when I've got an hour to kill... I'm going to go looking in, in in seasons like season five. This is one of my favorite years of the show. I think that I like seasons three and four a little bit more. Still, over the course of ten years, season five is, is way up there. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Thanks to everybody who wrote in to talk to us about season five. Hope that was an enjoyable conversation. Next week, we're talking about the overuse and underuse of some of our favorite characters on both SG-1 and Atlantis. So here's this week's listener question. Are all characters equal? Do you think that some should be utilized more than others, or should every member of the team have equal time? And here I'm thinking of of, uh, the Atlantis example is a little bit more clear. McKay gets written a lot in Atlantis, and very early on, McKay became sort of a favorite of the writers. But if you'll notice, it's never really about McKay. McKay's always talking stuff to move the story along. Yeah, as as the exposition guy and the science guy, he's obviously integral in moving along those plot lines. That's kind of what I'm thinking when I when I phrase this question. Should a character like McKay get more screen time and more episodes centered around him? So that's up next week on our June 24th show. And then we'll be back to talk about SG-1 Season 6 on July 1st. And July 8th is our big milestone. This is our 50th podcast. That's all we have this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. In this week's episode, David and I talked about Season 5 of Stargate SG-1, awesome as it was. And we also gave you a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with Andy Frizzell. Look for that on the website in just a few days. And head over to GateWorld.net for links to everything we talked about today in the episode 47 show notes. Send feedback. 
We demand must, it. Must have feedback. Must. How can they submit that feedback? Through the hotline at 616-712-1647. Or you can write us on the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld Forum. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for more.